Jan. <laughs> Today we are absolutely delighted to welcome Gary Gibbs to Glasgow Elam, uh, which uh, he told me apparently is his favourite church in all of Scotland. Uh, so, <laughs> as of just there. Um, Gary is the National Evangelism Director for Elam uh, in the UK, and I'm blessed to say that he's also my friend, uh, and he is an all-round good guy. Uh, you know how I feel about speakers' introductions, where we talk about status and roles and all that kind of stuff. Gary loves Jesus, and he has committed his whole life to helping others fall in love with Jesus. And... In just five weeks' time, after 18 years in this role, Gary is retiring from this role and stepping into a brand new season of ministry. And I'm not really sure that we can fully measure the legacy of this man's ministry so far, I say so far, with an Elam in the UK. Gary has travelled up and down the UK helping train people to share their faith in friendship situations and in workplaces and in everyday environments. He has been involved in training and equipping people to church plant and has been responsible for seeing brand new churches rising up all across our country, supporting churches and impacting their communities. He's preached evangelism events uh, that have been put on by churches. There is no way for us to measure the number of people that are impacted for the kingdom because of this man's heart to serve Jesus and the people of Jesus. And in my opinion, he's sadly one of Elam's unsung heroes. And so as we welcome him to the stage today, I wonder if Glasgow Elam, we could honor this man with all that we've got as he gets ready to finish this season of ministry. And in Glasgow Elam, he won't be an unsung hero, he'll be a sung hero. And we will recognize what God has done through him. And Gary's not someone that will take this, I know you hate what I'm saying right now, because it's all about Jesus, but I think it's right that we honour him. Would you please do all that you can to honour my friend, Gary Gibbs, as he comes to share with us. Wow. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Let's pray for Gary, shall we? Father, right now, as Gary comes to share with us, we pray that he would know heaven opening over him right now and that the Spirit descending on him, lighting upon him. And Father, we pray that the words that he shares with us would be anointed and would carry your heart, which we know that they will. Uh, but Lord, right now, we open up the soul of our church and we give you permission to speak right into the soul of our church through your servant, Gary. And Lord, we pray that you would deposit within him just that little nugget of what you're going to do in our church, that revival, that outpouring, that move of God that you're going to do here. Lord, I pray that you would deposit just a little bit of a seed of that in him, that he would carry it from this moment into what he's doing, because it's not really about what you're doing here, it's about what you're doing in your kingdom. Yeah. So God, we bless him and we honor him and we thank you for him and we pray that his jokes would be good <laughs> and his sermon would be better. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, amen. Amen. <laughs> well, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> and uh, Fraser, you got a lot of faith praying that about the jokes. And the temperature. 
Uh, I've just got back from India. I was preaching in 38 degrees centigrade. This is cool. This is really cool. <laughs> Not a problem. Everybody all right? Great. Lovely to be back at Glasgow. I think this is actually the second time I've been here, and that's great because I always like to go everywhere twice. Um, second time to apologize for the first time, you know. And uh, so it's great to see you. We had a great time yesterday morning with the, uh, uh, the men's, we had a men's breakfast yesterday morning. So much cholesterol, you wouldn't believe it. And uh, it was just fantastic. I put on 14 stone yesterday morning. My wife's going to kill me when I get home. I'm supposed to be trying to lose weight, but uh, now we had a great time. And, um, you know, it's been great to be with Fraser. I think Fraser's nearly a Christian now. <laughs> working on it, working on it. Um, folks, how many of you know what I mean? I mentioned this yesterday morning to the guys. You know, truth is often stranger than fiction, isn't it? You know that? And um, I heard this story uh, a while back. Apparently, this is a true story. So it's about a zoo. There's a zoo in Cairo, in Egypt, okay? Cairo Zoo. And um, the, the people who own the zoo, uh, they wanted to get some, um, some, some new animals in the zoo. They wanted to get some zebras. Uh, the problem is uh, they don't have much money. Um, so they came up with a cunning plan, because in the zoo, they've got lots of donkeys. So what they did was, they chose a couple of the donkeys, and they arranged to have the donkeys painted with black and white stripes, you know, and, um, and passed them off as, as zebras. Now, I don't know about you, that, that leaves me with a couple of questions in my brain straight away. Uh, like, number one, how did they manage to get the donkeys to stand still long enough, you know, to, to do the black and white stripes? And then secondly, what happens when it rains? Huh? I mean, weird, isn't it? So uh, if you ever get to go, go to Cairo Zoo, tell me if, you've, if there's a couple of imposter zebras there, still there, you know. Um, anyway, they may look like zebras on the outside, but inside they're still donkeys, yeah? You don't change things just by changing the outside. That's true physically. I want to suggest to you this morning, it's true for you and me in terms of our lives, in terms of our, the way we live our lives, in terms of our morality, in terms of our spirituality, that on the outside, we can pretend to be something, but it doesn't change in itself who we are on the inside. Is that true? Okay. In fact, I would say that to change on the inside, uh, that would take a miracle, wouldn't it? It would take a miracle for that to happen. How many of you know God's good at miracles? Yeah, wonderful, fantastic. So um, what I'd like to do uh, this morning, I want to share with you for a few minutes on the subject of how to be a disciple, how to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, you might say, right, time to go home because we know this stuff. But I wonder whether we've really ever dug down into what's involved in being a true disciple of Jesus. You see, it was never God's plan for you uh, to be a Christian. Hello? That was never God's plan. He never intended for you to be a Christian. So the word Christian is mentioned... Well, let me, let, let me ask you, how many times is the word Christian 
mentioned in, in the Bible in the New Testament. In fact, let's have a vote. Let's have a vote. Let's see how well Fraser has taught you. All right. So the word Christian in the New Testament, is it mentioned, um, is it mentioned three times? Is it mentioned nine times? Or is it mentioned 97 times? Three, nine, or 97? Make a decision in your head. Which is it? Okay, let's have a vote. How many of you think three? How many of you think nine? How many of you think 97? Okay, the answer, of course, is three. It's mentioned just three times in the whole New Testament. And can anybody remember? It's okay, by the way, for you to talk to me. I know we're in church, but just relax. Um, Can anybody remember the first time when the followers of Jesus were called Christians in the New Testament? Anybody remember where that happened? That's right, it was in a place called Antioch, okay? And when the people in Antioch, in that city, when they called the followers of Jesus Christians, it wasn't something to make the Christians feel proud in itself. It was like a nickname, or if you will, it was like a derogatory term. They were saying, oh, you're Christians, you're little Christs, little anointed ones. That's what the word really means, you see? So it was never God's intention primarily that we should be Christians. His call on our life, well, the call of Jesus on every every person is this. He says, follow me. Follow me. You've heard that, haven't you? Yeah? It's the first thing he said to this guy, Peter, at the beginning of one of the Gospels. He says to Peter, the fisherman, he says, follow me. And at the end, before Jesus ascended back to the Father, he says to Peter again, follow me. Yeah? Be a disciple. Now, I wonder how many times the word disciple. Disciple means apprentice. It means learner. It means student. It has all these sort of meanings to it. But I wonder how many times the word disciple or disciples is mentioned in the New Testament. Let's have a vote. It's either three or it's nine or it's 97. Okay? Three, nine, or 97. Hands up for three. Hands up for nine. Hands up for 97. Okay, thank you. It's actually mentioned 290 times at least. (laughs) Right? Uh, Depending which version of the Bible you're reading at the minute, but at least 290 times in the New Testament you read this word, disciple. It's front and center. It's massively important in terms of what, me, what it means for people like you and me. So uh, that's why I want to speak about this subject this morning, how to be a disciple. Now, where do we even start? If it's mentioned so many times, there's so much material that we could go to, but where do we, where do we actually even begin on this stuff? Well, as always, we have to start with our hearts internally with what God wants to do inside of us before anything ever gets changed on the outside. Is that right? Yeah? So that we have internal integrity before we have external integration. Oh, that sounds good. Write that down. (laughs) Internal integrity before we have external integration in our lives. We have to start with our hearts, and that's what I want to do this morning. We're going to read in a moment the scripture. Just before we do that, let me just mention one resource that's just outside those doors on that high table that the kids uh, were booked in, in on earlier. It's this book. This book is called The Discipleship Lifestyle. How Disciples Develop Disciples. And it was written uh, by, uh, oh, me. 
Yeah, I wrote this. So um, during lockdown, uh, my wife said to me, Sally said, uh, hey, listen, you've got some time now. Sit at the kitchen table, write the book. You've been going on about it for ages. Write the book. So that's what I did. And so it came out just about 18 months ago, a bit later, uh, long, nearly two years now. And uh, it seems to be scratching where people are reaching. It's just about to go to its third, uh, third reprint. And uh, now because I came up on EasyJet, other airlines are available. And they only let you bring this small bag, you know, and I was coming for the weekend. So, uh, which meant I had to be very, very limited in what I, br- I brought. Uh, I, did, I did bring more than one pair of underpants, you'd be glad to know. And, and this is a fresh shirt on this morning, don't panic. Um, but I was only able to get uh, 12 copies of the book uh, in my bag, and uh, six of them went yesterday uh, to the guys. So there's only half a dozen left. Five of them are sitting on that uh, table out there. Who'd like this one for free? Yeah? Madam, you were the first one. Saw your hand. So there you go. That's a, that's a beautiful dress you're wearing, by the way. There you go. There you go. God bless you. Hope you enjoy it. Um, the rest of you can pay. Okay, <laughs> they're out there. And uh, normally it retails at £8.99, but today, because we're in Glasgow, nine quid. And uh, no, it's £8.99. I've got one of those card readers. Have you seen those card readers? It's like magic. You wave your card over and it takes money off you. So there's five copies out there if you'd like one later to see me, and you'd be very, very welcome. Um, it's such a big deal, this whole issue of discipleship. So let's dive into this. I want to read to you from Luke chapter 14. Um, if you, some of you will want to follow that in your Bibles or on your devices, um, the scripture is going to come up on the, uh, on the screen, and uh, we're going to dive into this, and let me just share a few thoughts about it as we go through the morning. So this is what Luke says, Luke chapter 14, verse 25. He says this, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, <clears throat> and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate Father and mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Now, we could carry on because he's got some other things to say to them in the next few sentences, but we'll stop there just for now. And God, in that amazing way that he does, will bless the reading of his word to our hearts and lives this morning. Yes? Yes, Gary, is the answer you're looking for. The first thing I want you to notice here is it says large crowds were traveling with him. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. This is the point in his life when Jesus of Nazareth is Jesus Christ superstar. And why, why wouldn't he be? Because Jesus was the most magnetic, attractive human being you could ever imagine. The Bible tells us that when he spoke, he didn't speak like the religious leaders. He was one who spoke with authority And when he spoke, also, he told the best stories. Yeah? 
He told the best stories. Sometimes we miss that because when we read our Bibles, we tend to read it, I would say we read it flat. You know, we read black words on white paper. Or if you've got one of those trendy Bibles, the red bits in the words of Jesus, you know. Um, but we don't get under the skin of what's going on. And Jesus had an amazing sense of humor when he told stories. So, for example, do you know when he talks about, let me just give you one example out of many. He says, it's as hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven as it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, if you read all the, uh, you know, all the um, clever people who write these big, thick books and commentaries on that, they come up with all sorts of interesting ideas about what Jesus meant. I think he meant what he said. Because it's such a funny picture, isn't it? Just imagine that. Here's a, here's a man, and he's holding a needle. There it is. He's holding a needle with a hole in the top. That's the eye of the needle, right? And here's the camel. I mean, camels, are, they're such funny animals anyway, aren't they? Somebody said the camels are a horse designed by a committee, you know, so, or a, a bunch of church leaders. And uh, so there it is. There's the camel with the humps and everything, that strange face. And there's two other guys up the back end of the camel pushing it towards this guy who's holding the needle. And he's saying, come on, guys, if we try really hard, <laughs> maybe they were religious people, if we have faith... We could get that camel through this eye of this needle. I mean, what a crazy picture, yeah? Crazy picture. But Jesus was trying to make a point very strongly. We'll see it again in just a minute. So he told the, the best stories. And also, signs, wonders, and miracles were dripping off his fingertips. Yeah? So the deaf heard, the blind saw, the lame walked. Even dead people like Lazarus were raised back to life. I mean, would you not want to be around a guy like that? Yeah? What a show. And what great news for people who were ill. Yeah? Or dead. Yeah? Incredible. And also, one of the things we know is that uh, kids, little kids, loved hanging out with Jesus. Now, I've got three children. They're all grown up now, of course. And I've got six grandchildren. And one of the things I've noticed with my grandkids is this. They, uh, they are attracted, they're drawn towards the fun people. Do you know what I mean? Because my grandkids are quite young. So when we're at a party or a family gathering or something like that, the grandkids will make their way to the smiley, happy people who get down to their level and talk to them. And they show them their toys and their, you know, their teddy bears and, uh, and their Duplo. <laughs> Do you know what Duplo is? Yeah, Duplo, it's like Lego that's been on steroids, isn't it? You know, it's that big stuff. And uh, they want to be around people like that. And of course, the children, they wanted to be with Jesus. And the disciples, don't make this mistake, by the way, disciples. The disciples tried to push them away from Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, guys, whoa, 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 whoa. Listen, let the kids come. Because the kingdom of God belongs to people like this. Yeah? So... He was such an amazing guy, such an attractive guy. So Luke says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Now just imagine, with me for a moment, just imagine that you had been in that crowd. 
And Jesus is walking at the front and we're all walking along behind all sorts of ages, all sorts of people. And, uh, you know, the sort of uh, the youth there chanting, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Some of the older women are saying, oh, isn't it fantastic to be around him? Ah, all that stuff's going on. And Jesus suddenly stops and he turns around and faces the crowd. And everybody's thinking, whoa, whoa, here we go again. We're going to see some more healings, some more people set free. I wonder what great stories he's going to tell these, this time. And Jesus, it's like he hits them with three verbal left hooks to the chin. I mean, I think that's because Jesus really cares about you. Like he really cared about those people on that day. And he didn't want to fool them. He didn't want them to come with any illusions about what it really means uh, to follow him. So he says it like it is. And hits them with, as it were, this, um, like this triple whammy. So look what he says. Here's the first thing he says. If anyone comes to me, he says, and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, what's that all about? I mean, what are you saying, Jesus? Are you saying that when we, when we leave church this morning, we go back to where we live and uh, we walk in the house, if anybody's there, we say, uh, afternoon, just let you know I hate you. I really don't like you. I mean, is that what's going on here? Now, of course, if you've read anything about Jesus, you know that cannot be what he's talking about here. In fact, Jesus said, uh, what we need to do is love God and love other people just as much as we love ourselves. So what's he saying? Well, he's using something called hyperbole. You ever heard that word? Yeah, I used to think it was hyperbole because I'm not very clever, but I can lift heavy things. And my wife, who is very clever, she said, Gary, it's not hyperbole, it's hyperbole. She's a librarian, she knows these things. And uh, it's a technique where you exaggerate to make the point, yeah? You go over the top to make the point. Jesus does it in other places, doesn't he? So he says things like, um, you know, if, you, if your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. You know, if your eye causes you to sin, what you're looking at, gouge it out. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen many one-armed, one-eyed believers walking around this morning. So I guess we've worked it out. You know, exaggeration to make the point. And the same thing is going on here when Jesus speaks to them. Exaggerating to drive the point home. What is Jesus saying? I'm sure you get this. He's saying, listen everybody. If you don't love me more than you love anybody else or anything else, actually, it's never going to work. Now, let me just define love because we get really confused in the 21st century by that word. I can tell you that I love fish and chips. That's true. I can also tell you that I love my wife. That's also true. But I don't mean the same thing. I don't mean that I've got a, a romantic attachment to a piece of battered cod and some chopped up potato. Or that I like biting Sally. That would be weird, wouldn't it? Yes, Gary is the answer you're looking for. So when Jesus is talking about love, he, he means the deepest sort of love, which is best defined or easily defined as commitment. 
That's what he's talking about. He's saying, if you're not committed to following me, to putting me front and center in all things, it's never going to work. It's never going to work. Actually, what you discover that if you do that, you end up loving and caring for other people and being more committed to other people than you could ever be because God pours his love into your hearts when you do exactly that. Now, I've got a friend, uh, just one. His name, his name is Stuart. And um, Stuart, uh, he's not a follower of Jesus, uh, but he's a massive fan of Derby County Football Club, which is, by the way, the best team in the world. Uh, you may be a bit confused living in Glasgow, but just to make it clear, okay? Uh, some of you will be deceived on that point. So uh, that's, that's Stuart. Stuart's whole world is Derby County, okay? So he's a season ticket holder to watch the Rams, that's what they're called. And he goes to all the away matches, and he's got all the kit, and he's got the away kit, and, uh, you know, he gets... He, I mean, he knows everything there is to know about the history of, of Derby, you know, that team. And, um, you know, if you, were, if you were with him for more than just a few minutes, you would discover all of this for yourself. Because, that, because out of the fullness of his heart, his mouth speaks. And out of his mouth comes Derby County, Derby County, Derby County, Derby County, right? So it costs him an arm and a leg, right? It costs him loads and loads of money. Season tickets cost a lot of money, even for Derby County these days, yeah? And the kits, you know, the, the kits are an extortionate price. But he's got all of that stuff. So listen, how do you know what is the thing that you love the most? What is at the center of your life? What you're most committed to? Well, how do you spend your time? Or how do you spend a lot of your time? How do you spend a lot of your money? And what do you talk about? That's what gives it away, isn't it? So when Jesus says, the living Lord Jesus, who's here with us this morning, you can't see him, you can't reach out and touch him physically, but he promised when we gather together in his name, he's, he's right there. And during our sung worship this morning, I mean, I mean, you felt that, didn't you? the presence of Jesus in the place. I mean, it was tangible, tangible. But the living Lord Jesus, he says to us this morning, do you love me? Do you love me? Are you committed to following me? To do, you know, to do what I want you to do and to be the person that I've called you to be? Because it's only then that this Christian thing really works, that this disciple thing really works. And I guess at that point, when he said that to the crowd, some of them went home. Yeah? Go big or go home. Some went home. Okay? But he hasn't finished. He's got more to say. So look what he says next. He says, And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, I think uh, very often these days we misunderstand what it means to carry the cross or to, to bear a cross. I mean, I've heard people say things like, um, just a, a few months back now, maybe six months ago, people saying things like, oh, it's that time of year again. You know, it's the winter. And in the winter, I seem to get one cold after another and, uh, you know, get the flu and just don't feel very well and and it's freezing, and I'm shivering. Still, I guess that's just the cross I have to bear. I guess that's just the cross I have to carry. 
And uh, somebody was saying to me more recently, they said, uh, do you know what? There's a guy I work with in our office. And uh, we have got a massive personality clash. It's like we just do not get on at all. And he says the most, he says the most inappropriate things and, and uh, it's just not happening. It's not working. There's no chemistry. And I'm with him Monday through Friday, 9 till 5, you know, for 47, 48 weeks of the year. It's terrible. Still, I guess that's just the cross that I have to bear. See, we haven't got a dicky bird of a clue of what Jesus was really talking about. He says, if you don't carry your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, if you'd have been there 2,000 years ago, and you'd have seen someone walking along the road carrying a cross, then you would have uh, no doubt about what the end result of that was going to be. Would you? Yeah? So, the invitation of Jesus... The invitation of Jesus to you and me this morning is really very simple. It's this. Jesus says to every one of us, come and die. Come and die. This is a happy, clappy message this morning, isn't it? Yeah? Jesus says, you know, die to your own way of doing things. Die to your own selfish ambitions. Start learning what it is to say no to what you think is best for your life, and saying yes to the way of Jesus. Because actually, do you know what I've discovered? The best way to live in God's world is God's way. Anybody agree with that? The best way to live in God's world is God's way. And when we do that, or if we're going to do that, then we have to, we have to put down our own rights. We have to die to them and say you know, not my will, your will. Lord, I want to do this your way. Yeah? And when we do that, then we discover what it really means to experience that life in all its fullness that Jesus has promised us, the resurrection life of Jesus pulsating through us day by day. It only happens when death comes first. You've got to die if you're going to be raised. Amen. If you're going to live in that brand new way. So um, there's a guy called Paul. Do you remember Paul? He was called Saul. Got his name changed. Damascus Road. Shabam. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. So you're persecuting, but you knew that anyway. All that happens. Do you remember the story? And he becomes this great leader in the early church. And later on, he writes to this church uh, that he started in Galatia. And he says to them, he says, look, guys, here's my experience Here's how we do this thing. Here's how we truly live as followers of Jesus. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Get it? He says, Saul, or Paul Mark 1, whichever you like, stopped living in order that the brand new Paul could really live. Yeah? And sometimes I think in our lives, you know, we're sort of, um, uh, I mentioned it yesterday morning, we're sort of yo-yo Christians, aren't we? We're up and down, we're up and down. Or if we're not being yo-yo Christians, we end up sometimes being um, hokey-cokey Christians. 
Yeah? We're in, we're out, we're in, we're out, we're shaking all about, you know. I mean, we just, you know, we're so inconsistent in, in, in following Jesus. But one of the main keys, if we're going to be the person God wants us to be, is this. Die to your own ambitions. Stop living for self. Say no to that and say yes to the way of Jesus. Because here's one thing I've discovered, for example, about dead people. It's really difficult to tempt a dead person, isn't it? Huh? It's really difficult. I mean, if you don't believe me, take some, take some chocolate bars down the local cemetery. See how many takers you get. Yeah? Get the point. Dead people don't get tempted. So what is it about us? What is it about us? Well, I think, I think what it is is this. There are two people who are very good at resurrection. One is God. God's really good at resurrection, yeah? But the other is me. I'm really good at resurrecting me, yeah? About starting to just, you know, claim rights, do my own thing, live my own life again, walk away from the way of Jesus, go off course. And when that happens, ultimately, eventually, it may take some time, but the end of that, that course is going to be disaster, it's going to be disaster in all sorts of different ways. Now, listen, you might be here this morning. I don't know why you're here this morning. This might be, it could be this is your very first time here in this church. You know, you might be a regular. This might be where you, you are most, most Sundays. I, I don't know. But one thing I, I am sure about is this. I am sure that it's not an accident that you're here. It's not just a coincidence this morning that you're here and that, that, that I happen to be, uh, be here this morning speaking to you about these things. Because God has a way, I don't even understand how he does this, but God has a way of getting us into a context, into a situation, where even, th- even through the faltering lips of a human being, he can speak right into our situation and say, look, if you want to know what life is all about, If you want to discover how to really live in this world, to be the person that God created you to be, then here's how it works. Be crucified with Christ. Die to self and then learn to really live. And you might say, well, Gary, you know, this is heavy. Why should I even consider it? I mean, why should I even consider this way of life? There's only one reason that I can think of, and it's this. The reason why you and I should die to self is because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for you and for me. That's why the cross stands front and center in the Christian faith. Yeah, Because when Jesus was crucified, when they took him and stretched him out on that piece of wood and and hammered those great big pieces of metal through his wrists and feet. And he went through all of that torture and all, all that agony of crucifixion. When Jesus did that, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't just something that, that happened that, that was a big mistake. In some incredible way, Jesus on the cross was taking the blame for all of our wrongdoing. For all of our... Uh, all the mess in our lives, for all the accumulated rubbish of the years, all the mistakes that we've made. Jesus on the cross was saying, it's my fault. Blame me. I'll take it. And it wasn't his fault. He was the purest person who's ever lived. But on the cross, 
Paul said, that guy Paul said, on the cross, Jesus became sin. He became the embodiment of filth and dirt on the cross because he took upon himself my filth, my dirt, my rubbish, so that I could know what it is to start over again. Some time ago, I was speaking at a university in the northeast of England, and uh, just before we went into this meeting with these students, we had uh, tea together. Do you, what do you call that evening meal in Glasgow? Is that tea? Yeah, tea, dinner, any posh people here, supper? Yeah, okay. So we're having this meal. And the thing is, when you eat with students, you always have the same food. Yeah? Jackie potato, chili con carne, every time. Or quiche. So we're on this big trestle table. I'm sitting there, and there's a young woman, student, sitting opposite me. So we're chatting away. And she told me that she'd only said a big yes to following Jesus two weeks previously. Two weeks she'd been a disciple of Jesus. And uh, I said to her, I said, well, congratulations. She said, thank you. I said, how does it feel? How do you feel now you've taken that step of faith? And I'll never forget, she looks at me across the table, big smile on her face, and she said one word. She said, clean. Clean. She said, Gary, I just feel like on that day two weeks ago when I took that step, like all of that guilt and all of that shame and all of that mess It just got taken away, and I just feel clean. I wonder if that's your experience this morning. I wonder if there's ever been a time in your life when you've made that decision to actually give your life to Jesus the way that he gave his life for you. He couldn't give you any more. I mean, he he died for you. That's given 100%. But it's when you take that step, you'll know what it is to start over again. Or you might be here this morning, you said to me, well, Gary, there was a time. There was a time when I took that step. But effectively, it seems like I've gone off course. I've started to do my own thing all over again. Well, here's the great news. The great news, we can can always come back to God. We can always come back to Him and say, Lord, I choose you again. I choose you over anybody else or anything else. Lord, I want to say no to self so that I can really live for you. Does that make sense? Jesus took the shame and he took the blame. So that's possible for you. Got one more thing to say. Is that all right? And it's this. Or one more thing Jesus has to say to us this morning. Look at that final, the final left hook, as it were. Look at what he says. He says this. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and was not able to finish. What an embarrassment that would be. There's a program on Channel 4. Well, I don't watch Channel 4 very often because most of it is really boring. But um, there's a program that's been on for a few years. It's called Grand Designs. Anybody ever seen that on Channel 4? Um, except even that program is now boring. Because if you've watched it a number of times, every story follows the same format. Have you noticed? What happens is this, just in case you haven't seen it. Um, this person or this couple decide they're going to self-build their own house. So they get some money together and they buy a piece of land and they start to build this property. 
And about halfway through the program, it lasts for about 55 minutes, you know, finishes a bit early because you've got to get the adverts in. And about halfway through, jeopardy. Because you've got to have jeopardy in any story, haven't you? Uh, what happens is they've run out of money or the builders have walked off, off, the, uh, off the site. Something's going wrong. And uh, the question is, are they going to be able to do this? But by the end of the program, <laughs> every episode, guess what happens? They finish and it's beautiful. And Kevin, whatever his name is, comes and looks at it and says, oh, what a great job you've done. Boring. I want to watch a program where the whole thing just falls down. <laughs> Maybe that says a lot about me. <laughs> yeah, there we go. But you see, in this story, Jesus says, what about if all you manage to do is get the, the foundations down and you've got nothing left to complete what you started? What about if you've never really counted the cost? The cost of doing this thing. So I was chatting with uh, this guy, and he said to me, uh, he said, oh yeah, he said, I tried, I tried Christianity, it didn't work. I said, pardon? He said, yeah, he said, uh, a while ago, he said, I tried Christianity, it didn't work. I said, um, no, you didn't. He said, yeah, I did. I said, no, you didn't. He said, I did. I said, you didn't. He said, I did. I said, say it again. I'm going to punch you. <laughs> Joke. <laughs> I said, look, you don't, you don't try Christianity. It's not like, it's not like some hobby, you know, like, like you, you start doing Candy Crush on your device and then you get bored with it or something. It's not like stamp collecting or train spotting or something like that where you do it for a season and that's the end of it. That's not what we're talking about here. Here's the deal. Following Jesus, coming to Jesus, knowing what it is to become clean, knowing what it is to start life all over again, it's a free gift. It's a free gift from God to you. Amen. Much better than getting a book. I mean, a million times better than getting a book, right? It's free. But it'll cost you everything. That's the paradox. Yeah? It's free, but it'll cost you everything. And by the way, who wants, who wants a life where you're, you're here on the planet and you just, you just free fall through 70 or 80 or 90 years, if you're lucky, and then kick the bucket? I mean, what's exciting about that? What sort of adventure is that? Don't you want a life that takes some living and that's going to make a difference in this world, because that's what Jesus offers to every one of us. But you have to count the cost. I remember a long time ago, sitting at home one day, and I was, it was a long time ago because I was listening to a cassette. Anybody remember cassettes? Where you always needed a pencil, didn't you? Do you remember? These young guys, they're thinking, what's he talking about? <laughs> yeah. You needed a pencil to wind back the tape when he got stuck, didn't you? So I'm listening to this cassette. So it's got to be over 20 years, maybe 30 years ago, longer. So I'm listening to this, and it was the, a, a man, a Chinese church leader, talking about the fact that he'd been put into a, a labor camp in China on the charge of being a church leader. That was the charge. 
And he spent, I think it was 16 years in my memory, 16 years in this labor camp on the charge of being a, a minister. And his job every day was to clean out the labor camp cesspit. So, uh, and he was speaking in north of England to a, a, you know, because by this time he was released and he'd moved to the west. And he was telling his story to this audience in the north of England. And um, he explained how every day two guards would accompany him to the edge of the cesspit. And then they would stop. And there there was like a slope down into this cesspit, this hole. And they would stand about 15 meters back because of the stench. And he would have to wade waist deep into this human excrement in order to start shoveling it out somewhere else. That was his job every day. And you could hear, even on the tape, you could hear the sort of gasps of the, you know, as they thought about doing that every day for 16 years. And this man said, he said, no, no. He said, listen, you don't understand. He said, he said for me, it was a joy. It was fantastic. He said, because every day when I went to do that job, the guards were so far back. While I was doing the work, I could sing to Jesus at the top of my voice and praise him and worship him and thank him and pray to him without getting a rifle butt in my face. He said that half an hour each day was like heaven itself. And I'm sitting there at home listening to this tape and I felt my knees go weak. And I said to God, I said, Lord, if I'm honest, if that was me, I think I'd deny you. I think I'd deny you, honestly. And immediately, I had the sense of God saying, hey, you don't need the help until you need it. (laughs) You don't need it living in Derby as we were then. You don't need it yet, but the grace comes when you need it. Amen. So, Jesus says, you have to count the cost. I don't think, for most of us, probably not for any of us here this morning, that following Jesus will cost us that much, or cost us our life, although there are people dying every day because they belong to Jesus. I've just got back from India a couple of weeks ago. And we were invited to do an open-air church meeting, you know, so anybody could come. And everybody was really nervous because there's a lot of persecution going on in India now. You probably know that for the Christian church. Actually, I was thinking, oh, fantastic. I can enjoy speaking at this. And, uh, and we had a great time, actually. But it's okay for me because I can jump on a plane and get back here. Those people live there every day, faithful to Jesus through all their the difficulties and the persecution that they're going through. Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the civil rights leader from America, he once said this. He said, The chief purpose for our lives is not to achieve pleasure and avoid pain. It's to do the will of God, come what may. Let me give you that one more time because that's so powerful, isn't it? The chief purpose for our lives, you and me, is not to achieve pleasure and avoid pain. It's to do the will of God, come what may. And in the area of civil rights in the United States, Martin Luther King, he did the will of God. He wasn't perfect, 
But in that area, he did the will of God, and it cost him his life. It cost him his life. You and me, where do we stand on all of this today? Are we willing to count the cost? Here's the thing. Following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, it's not difficult. It's impossible. It's impossible. You and I, we can't do this stuff. We can't do this stuff unless, unless God gives us the heavenly resources that we need to live that sort of a life. Do you know what the good news is? He's going to do it. In fact, for many of you, he already has. Yeah? He gives us all that we need, the Bible says, for life and for godliness. Everything that we need comes from God. His power, his, his, his ability it comes to us. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to respond to what you may have heard inwardly from God. You know, I'm, I'm sorry you've had to listen to my voice, but I do believe that something's been going on for many of you inside. And I want to ask you to respond to that, that prompting that comes to God, from God to you this morning. And here's the deal, I think. I'm going to ask you in a moment if you could respond in this way. Not right now. I'm going to ask you if you could stand before God as a way of saying to God, God, here I am, and I haven't got it all together. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I haven't got it all together, but I want to stand and say before you, God, this is my aim. This is my trajectory. This is my aspiration that I want to be more and more the person that Jesus is describing here. Yeah? Someone who loves God with all, all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yeah? Someone who is willing to say no to self and know what it is to lead, to lead what someone has called a cruciformed life. I want to be the sort of person who's willing to count the cost that whatever it takes, I can live this great adventure for Jesus by His grace, with His help, by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, this side of eternity, we will never be the complete job, will we? The Bible says when we see Him, we'll be like Him. There is a day coming. For some of you, it's decades and decades away. For me, not too long now. When I see Jesus face to face. And the Bible says at that moment, he makes us complete. Complete. But this side of eternity, we're still on that journey. We're still on that adventure. But he can help us to become more and more transformed into his likeness. And that's what I want. That's what I want. I want that more now than when I started this journey when I was 17, four years ago. I want it more now, more of Jesus, less of self, more to live what, the way he wants me to live because there's no other way to do this, 